welcome to Unplug It. It's been a little while since the season came to an end on that warmish Saturday afternoon at the, the MCG in front of 68,000 people against the Giants. It is prelim week uh, in the AFL. Obviously, for, for us, it's you know another one of those moments where you, you think about, I guess, how close you are to taking one or two more steps and being a part of this and what it was like <clears throat> to have been a part of this a decade or so ago, but a fair bit's happened since that last game. A fair bit happened before that that last game and around it as well. There's a, a lot to dissect. We'll have a chat a little bit later in this episode to Bruce Eber, one of the Saints' most famous and, and passionate fans. And unfortunately, that's about the very sad passing of, of Cowboy Neil. We spoke to his great mate, Barry Breen, back in season one when he w- it was first revealed that he wasn't particularly well and unfortunately passing away at the age of 78. And just another reminder, I guess, for that that magical 66 crew, how much they've longed to have premiership mates at reunions with them. And, and hopefully that day does come uh, whilst we've still got a decent smattering of those guys left. But a uh, hell of a season. It was a fairly wild ride. Um, I don't think any of us expected necessarily it, it all to pan out the way it did. And it's obviously be there in front of, I think, as John Ralph pointed out, possibly the most St Kilda fans in a ground at the same time ever, just about. I mean, you look at the 71 grand final when there was 118,000 people there. Would we have had half the crowd of that, which would be nearly 60? Um, it's You're probably looking around about that mark, but we've had a little bit of a chance to, to catch our breath. Nick, we'll, we'll start with you. Obviously, the final was disappointing that there, there were potentially reasons mm. for that. There was a bit of fight still, but that doesn't take away from what is a season they should be fairly proud of. No, absolutely. And 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 I think looking back on everything that we've heard and learnt since that those guys should be incredibly proud of the way that they got themselves through that game as well. I mean, we don't want to speculate about the situation with Tim Membry, but clearly the, the guys were affected. Um, you know, they've lost one of their best mates, one of the leaders of the footy club for the biggest game that they've played in years, um, clearly had an impact. And, um, you know, I, I think the way that they equipped themselves, um, was first rate. I thought they gave it everything. Um, I'm not sure you could really look at anyone on, on, on the ground and say they didn't, they didn't, you know, turn up, uh, ultimately we weren't good enough. And, you know, like you said, the giants have proven their, they're bona fide since, um, and you know their form stacks up just uh, about to anyone in, in the competition over the last month, um, or, or maybe even a bit longer. And they deserve to win. They deserve to be where they are at the moment. Um, you know, still, still alive. And you know, I, I, I walked away from the, the game that afternoon, that evening, just thinking how proud I was of the guys f- for the entire season that they did. A whole lot more than I expected. I think I had us somewhere in that kind of eight to twelve range. Um, yeah, everything had to go right for us to finish sixth in my eyes, and not a lot went right for us over the course of the season. We still finished sixth. Um, I think we exceeded all expectations, um, and yeah, I think it was a, a a brilliant year, a great first year back for Ross. I think he would have learned a lot, and um, yeah, I'm already starting to look forward to, to next season. Yeah, it felt like there were a lot of hurdles thrown in front of us and, you know, we didn't complain. You pushed through it. You, you fought your way through it. Obviously, we didn't quite have the 
the depth of talent to necessarily challenge for a flag, but I think we squeezed every drop out of it. And look, the price you pay for, for loving a club is, I guess, what finals losses can, can do. And it still hurt. It, it hurts in a different way to a home and away loss. Obviously, it brings it to an end. It's an opportunity. It's, um, you know, you dare to, to dream for a little while and, and finals losses will always hit a bit differently. And it, it, it still took a little while to, to get through that when you process it over the, the next couple of days. And, bits and pieces, but, but hey, yeah, it, w- it was a, a tough day. And as Nick said, we don't know all of the ins and outs around the Tim Membry thing, but a few things we do know. We, we had him on our podcast in, in 2020 and he answered our call when they were in isolation. He, you know, he'd come across as a, as a terrific bloke every time you hear him speak. And, you know, he's been a passionate, committed member of the club and, and unfortunately wasn't able to be there on such a massive day in, in his career and, and a massive day in, in our season. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you hope that, that that he'll get through whatever the challenges are and, and come out the other side. He, he seems a, a thoroughly decent person. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But H, what did you, you make of th- that and, and, and the season yeah, I mean, overall? I think everyone knows how big of part of the club he actually is. Um, and you, as much as it could affect us sitting in the stands, you just had to sort of think like, how much does it affect the players on the field? And I mean, mm. yes, they're professionals. They can, that's what they mean to sort of block out that kind of thing. But that that's still floating around in your head all day, running around the field. It's, it's going to have an impact. And I mean, you sort of go, well, if we had him out there, we one we don't have that issue. Two, we don't have the players thinking about that. Do, do we switch on a, and play a great game of football? It, it's something we just never will never know. But yeah, they they all dug in on the day as much as they could, and yeah, I mean, it's on the day we're sitting there after the final siren goes, and we're while we're all. At that moment, disappointed. I think it then, as you're saying, a couple of days later, we all sat down and just sort of thought, hey, we, we, we've done better than what we thought we would. I mean, we flew out of the blocks, absolutely dominated the first month of the competition and exceeded there because everyone's expectations at that point and continued to. I mean, we were written off week in, week out for the rest of the season after we lost our first game. We were never going to make the finals after we lost our first game. And yet we, I mean, that first loss, we pushed Collingwood to a goal. We pushed Port Adelaide to just over a goal. We lose to Brisbane by only a couple of goals. We beat Carlton and the second time lose to them by not much either. All these top teams, we pushed... We pushed them all year. So it wasn't like last couple of years where we've had these results where we were absolutely blown out of the water a few times and just not in the competitive in some weeks, not even showing up. We pretty well turned up every week this year. We had a little blip against Adelaide, but week in, week out, we were there. And that, and that's, that's something that I think a lot of people need to realise Ross has brought into the team. If you're not turning up as a player, you're not playing in the seniors. And it's a, it's a simple message. And, I mean, we can look forward now to going, 
which other players in the league want to play under that system too. Because we, I reckon we're going to have a little bit of a interesting off-season to see who we do and don't keep. But yeah, I, we've had a good good look at the players that we go, yep, they're, they're in there to win the game, some footy for us. I think a lot of um, people, probably rightly, if they've criticised Saints fans, it's been that maybe we're not defeatist, but at times there can be that expecting the worst, not kind, not victim mentality, but kind of, where you you know, you know, kind of think the world's out to get you and, and all of that sort of stuff. But I think that comes from experience where, you know, hmm. you're waiting for the next painful thing to happen and, and bad stuff has occurred. Uh, but one thing I would absolutely say is I think the club was the exact opposite of that. I mean, as supporters, we, we could do that. You'll, you'll sit down and have a beer after a game and think, well, why, why did that happen again? This is bullshit. And, you know, conscience 300s and buddies 4,000th or whatever it was and <laughs> such and such retires. They sack a coach, then they play us and all of this sort of stuff. And the club never did that. Obviously, at the start of the year, they Max King goes down, Tim Membry goes down. Zach Jones is injured. McKenzie's injured. They just said, Steel's okay, we've got to, Steel's injured. We've got to do different things. And they found ways to win. They lost form in the middle of the year. And it was like, oh, it's okay. We'll change a few things up. They got it back again. They won their way into the finals. Bad things happened that day. They didn't complain. Um, and I think, you know, a, a lesser character group would have rolled over under those circumstances. And they didn't. They just sort of took it in their stride. And I mean, it doesn't mean anything if you fall away in the next couple of years, but Certainly, I think what they did this year, based on expectation, personnel, circumstances, was a, a massive tick. Um, it's it's yeah. very much a Ross Lyon attribute, mm-hmm. isn't it? And we saw it all the way through Lyon 1.0. You know, it, it was control the things that you can control. The guys who are out there are out there because they're good enough to play AFL footy and go and do your job, play your role, and everything after that will will fall into place. And and it, there was a, a bit of that. Obviously, you know, we don't have the the high-end talent that, that we had back then with your Rewalts and, you know, Harvey to some extent, like Del Santo, Luke Ball, Bren Goddard, the, all those guys. But, um, you know, we, we do have plenty of talent on, on our list and we've got plenty of guys who are willing to give it everything. And I think one of those one of those things that Ross brought back, and we spoke about it preseason, was you know the accountability of just being able to go out there and play your role. And if you're not playing your role, then you're not playing. But you go out and do the things that you're asked to do, and everything else will come after that. And, and I felt like, with the exception of the Adelaide game, um, which was really our our worst loss from a points differential perspective, our worst loss for the year. And probably the Gold Coast loss where we just kind of packed it in early. Um, Every other week, win or loss, we turned up, we were ready to play and we were competitive and we did the things that we're asked to do. And sometimes it wasn't good enough and that's okay. But I think think Ross will have learned a lot about this group and the resilience um, and potentially... The, the fan base will have learned a lot about the group and the resilience of the guys and what they're willing to leave out on the field for our footy club. Yeah, I think 21 of 24 weeks, they, they probably met that expectation. Probably the only other one was the, the Hawthorne loss early in the year where they mm. um, were pretty flat in that, but the, the rest of it was That was, was more good. execution more than effort, yeah. though, I think, ultimately. P- potentially, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Where do we sit amongst best wins? For, for me, there were two very clear standouts in that space. The 
such a long game that secured finals. It was as good a night as I've had at the footy in a while. And, and obviously the 150 celebration against Essendon, given who you're playing and where, and um, they were pretty big. There were some other good ones along the way, but um, do, do we stand those two out as the, the best wins of the Well, year? you probably look back now and look at a few of the wins we had. Like We beat Freo just and they then they go on a bit of a run. Yes, they drop off, but... They play some really good football afterwards. We thought, okay, the wins will be better than we thought. We beat the Bulldogs. And again. They won they, seven of their next eight after that. Yep. Yeah. GWS when we beat them. How long until they lost another game? Hardly lost. Yeah, and that's right. They've lost so three out of their next We've beaten yeah. some genuine teams at points during the season that have either, have gone on to play br- some brilliant football after we've defeated them. So the we could have been just that extra win that those teams picked up in the um, in those matches that they were playing. And, yeah, we, we look at some of those and you think, well, the way those teams play, we probably dropped them some years. And, and there was the difference between playing finals and not playing finals, picking up those games that we not necessarily would pick up other years. And, yeah, so you go back and look at some of the wins and – they look a lot better than what they may have at the time. I think, I think there's a few times we've scraped over a line and gone, oh yeah, we've we won the game, but yeah, it wasn't great or something like that. But yeah, there was a few wins now. I mean, Sydney and Sydney even. That, that's yeah, it's some really good games. You look back now and think, hey, they, they were better than what they seemed at the time. Those those first few weeks of the season, obviously beating Fremantle, they, I know it was at home, but you know they had huge expectation on them coming into the season. What was they were they, they were top four last year, just, four? just outside, but, uh, but won a final, just yeah. out. Yep, um, and so there was huge expectation on Frio with the, the list that they had to kind of take the next steps, and and there wasn't much expectation on us, given we were out King and and Membry. Um think steel got injured the following week yeah um but we were, we were certainly missing a missing a couple of guys um and then to come out and smash the bulldogs the the, the next week um was was really promising because obviously the the frio win was kind of tough it was hard fought it was a typical kind of low scoring in the clinches type game which is nice and then you know put the afterburners on in, in round two to, to kind of kick a winning score on on our own uh, it was really nice to see. And then to follow that up with the 150 game that I think we were all a little bit worried about, you know, huge milestone event night, prime time, um, you know, celebration. We haven't historically performed well in, in those games. And then to turn it on in that game and beat a team who has had the wood on, on us for, for, for a while. Um, that was probably my favorite win of the season, just for the, the atmosphere in the crowd, the night that it was having all the guys out on the field beforehand, the, you know, the, the musical stuff, um, it was just a, just a brilliant night. And then, like you said, Parker, that, that Geelong game, even though we didn't ultimately clinch it that night, we had to wait, <laughs> we had to wait a little bit longer. Um, but I think you're right, H, that the Sydney win in Sydney is probably the most meaningful, I think, because it showed us, you know, Sydney got on a bit of a run at the end of the third quarter, I think it was. And I think in previous years, we, we lose that. And, and not just lose it by a goal or two, but we lose that by six goals. And to fight back and, and to get out, to, to will our way back into that showed us a bit about what to expect from this footy club moving forward. 
And I think that was probably the most impressive victory of the season, Sydney. Well, the, year, well, the previous year, we probably did lose that game, the, the game that we kicked terribly. 100%. And yeah, the, we, we turned over what should have probably been a win that day um, and gave them the points. Yeah. So and they probably got it was, kicked it, six, kicked six yeah, straight. They, the game, they had a similar feeling those games last year and this year. And um, as you say, we actually dug in this year and yeah, did what we needed to do to get, get over the line. And that was a week after the Hawthorne loss, so they had to respond. Mm. Um, and it was it showed a bit of character, which they did all year. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, super, superficial positives, if you will, like the collar jumper coming back and the merchandise range. The club social media team was fantastic. The chance we had to do the podcast at the club, celebrating all of the history and, you know, a lot of that stuff that was fantastic, you know, um, Cuddly Ross at his press conferences, even after the final, was was quite reassuring. And and I think listening to that one after GWS, where you know he said it comes and goes quickly, which you know it's a message to players that you know you blink and you miss it. And then talking about the sugar hit and, and needing to to see it as that, where it's a little taste of what that part of the year is like and how much you want to be a part of it. And the amount of times that you know talking to a lot of Saints fans on Twitter that you'd lose a game that was slightly frustrating and. You know, I'd take the dog for a walk the next morning and listen to the podcast. So listen to the press conference and you'd almost feel a bit calmer and reassured and go, okay, yeah, they're, they're seeing it the right way, that they'll be fine. Um, and, and even the wind's getting put in perspective. So, yeah, I thought the press conferences were a welcome refreshment, H, to, uh, to, to have Ross almost speaking to us and saying a lot of the things that we might have been thinking at the same time. Yeah, it, it's it was a different, I guess, point of view um after matches I, you sort of I th- look at him and think he went away did his media thing and sort of i mean maybe took a bit in and what other coaches how they did it and just sort of watched him and did that and he's it, it it's still ross he's, he's still <laughs> who he was previously but it's kind of taken on board a few, i think a few things in the way of the way yeah the others have done it and just Go, all right, well, yeah, look, he wasn't expecting huge things this year. But he's probably he's probably sitting back and going, hey, I've got more out of that than anyone expected anyone uh, us to. He's managed to yeah, put a team in the final that every expert had. I reckon the average before the season was about 14th position we were predicted to finish. He is far, far out out um played what everyone has thought so he's brought something in that we probably needed he's brought in just a fresh just fresh air fresh start fresh everything but in an old way we knew what we were getting but it was fresh again so it, it's a really good way for him to have come back and it hasn't just fallen over because I mean he could have come in and we finished 16th with three win three wins we don't didn't see any young kids do any good. We didn't see this, but but everything seems to have worked the way that he kind of wants it to go. Yes, we've had a few, we had the injuries, but they dropped off towards the end of the season. So they had a couple there at the end of the season. We never saw McKenzie. Couldn't get over that one. We tried Hayes. He almost got there to play a game, but just in the end, it wasn't right. Um, just about everything went right for him towards the end of the season and. Yeah, if we can get through the off season, a fit king, a fit steel, a fit 
I guess, mo- majority of the list, he looks and goes, yeah, we're sitting pretty good here to have another crack at a decent season again and see, see if we can go past where we went this year. Yeah, I think King looked outstanding when he played. He just couldn't get a run at it, but he looked in really good shape. Um, a little bit later on, we, we've asked every guest we've had on this year, and a big thank you to all of those. We have got Ben McAvoy in the can too, which we will drop for you. We've spoken to the uh, the big fella, so that'll be dropped in the, the next little while. Um, we've asked every guest on the 150th what the club means to them. So question without notice towards the end of the program, I'll throw that to the panel as well. We haven't answered that question ourselves uh, now that it's it's in the book, so to speak. But um, I guess the votes from that final, I know it's a fair way back now, but we'll, we'll wrap those votes up and then wrap what that means in terms of our own MVP. But I thought we had six. I thought our best six was very clear. Um, obviously, I wanted to give all of them votes. We didn't have to, but, but I thought they were definitely our best six players. I thought... Uh, and all in different roles. So Wanganine Miller was our, our best at providing rebound and, and a bit of spark after a quiet start. So I gave him one vote. I thought Josh Battle was our best one-on-one defender of the day with, with eight marks, a lot of them intercepts. He got a vote. I thought that um, Cooper Sharman was clearly our best forward, gave us a constant presence and uh, was, was a standout by a long way, probably played his best game as a Saint. So he gets a vote. Brad Hill, running machine on the outside, gave us the most run and carry of the game. He got two votes. Rowan Marshall dominated in the ruck again, a 31-possession game, typical Row Marshall game, two votes. And Jack Steele was, was almost our only point of resistance against the Giants' midfield avalanche. He played his best game for probably three years. I thought he was super. And he gets three votes for a 38-possession game in a final. He did everything humanly possible, which is very Jack Steele. Um, H, how did you break it down? Oh, I might let Nick go because then I'll wrap up the top 10 after oh, yeah. that. Yep. yep. Uh, cool. Um, I agree with pretty much most of that. Um, I didn't give quite as many guys votes. I gave one vote to Cooper Sharman. I thought he was, like you said, um, Darren, quite clearly our most impactful forward. Uh, his ability to work into the game and create a moment. You know, he, he's one of those guys where he's, he's not a small and he's not a tall, but he doesn't need a lot of the ball to make things happen. And he just had those moments that, um, you know, he made things happen and he brought, he brought guys into the game just with his exuberance and his um, ability to, to take a big mark when it needed to be taken, to kick the big goal when it needed to be kicked. Um, and I thought he was very good. We, we've seen him kick, you know, we've seen him kick goal, uh, four goals in a game before. We've seen him kick a couple of threes. But I, I agree. I think this was his kind of coming of age moment, big stage, MCG, finals footy, um, big moment and, and do what do what you do. And and he did that. Um, and I was really, really impressed by uh, Cooper Sharman. I gave two votes to, to Rowan Marshall. It's pretty amazing that a Ruckman who who does what he did that night, and like you said, a, a typical Rowan Marshall performance, can only get two votes <laughs> in this game. Um, you know, w- whether we're underrating him or, or underappreciating him, uh, I'm not quite sure, but I think we, we've just gotten used to it, that that is what Rowan Marshall gives us. Um, I thought he was very, very good. He's he's become quite a good tap ruckman. He's certainly not elite at that level just yet, but, you know, around the ground, he's possibly the best ruck in the competition. Um, you know, his clearance work, his body work, his running ability, 
Um, yeah, ability to push forward and kick a goal and take a mark is 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 very good. Um, I thought he was excellent. Um, shaded a little bit by Brad Hill and and like you said, that running power. Um, I gave Hill two votes as well and and just uh, you know he he was the energizer bunny, just kept running um, and kept presenting and kept providing that the outlet kept pushing forward and and you know being a, a bit of an X factor. Um, I did want to give a vote to, to Naziah Wanganin Miller, but I just couldn't quite fit him in in this one. Uh, but I thought he was very good as well. And then Jack Steele, who showed the type of played the type of game that made our MVP award named after him. <laughs> that was MVP Superman Jack Steele, um, and you know he that was. Like you said, probably his best performance for a number of years. That was a a real captain's performance. It was do whatever you can and then double it to will your team across the line. Their midfield, the, the Giants' midfield, was amazingly good, and Jack Steele was possibly the best midfielder on the ground, one to one. Tom Green, Josh Kelly were, were both very very good as well, but um, Jack Steele played one of the best midfielder finals games you'll see in a losing team. Um, and he was phenomenal. And, and that was, that's why I've given him five votes, which um, I don't think we've, we've given too many guys five or more um, over the course of the no, year. No, I think so. Which, I think HR yeah, was Jack Steele versus the, the world in that midfield battle. Really? It was mm. um, everyone V him and he stood up really well. Yeah. And it, it reflected on, yeah, all our votes. Um, it, as you say before, there's a pretty much a key group kept us in the game on the day and again yeah pretty much agree with most of those and yeah gave one to battle um to just the best defender of the day um did did a lot better in the way i've found his struggles a bit of time i've found so many times he gets the best position gets his defender out i guess his attacking opponent out of the way and then gets the hit and drops the mark but he actually held on to him on the in that game he 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 how held everything that day, and you're sort of going. Hopefully, that can come into his game because he, he does so well getting position. Then he puts the mark down so often, and just if he clunks them all the time, he, he's going to be a, a huge intercept defender. And it's not one of those sit back, hang loose, grab the ball in front of the grappling opponents. This is beating his opponent and taking those marks. So yeah, it's it's. Something if he can just hold those marks, there's gonna be really good something to build on. Uh one of the shaman provided up forward, gave us a target, gave us a target further up the ground when we needed the we get out and just just threw himself at whatever that he had on the day. So he, he did well. Two to Hill, just kept running. He he ran and ran in on the day and um that'd be good to see if we get Henry next year. Hill and Henry on the wings and just the two of them running off everyone and it'll be an option either side. It'll be great to watch if if that's what ends up happening. Uh, two to Marshall. Again, I probably deserve one too. Um, yeah, great game, but uh, still, yeah, four votes for from me. So he's uh, picked up what was our second 12 voter of the season. Um, so it was the best best score of the year is in a individual effort um so pretty much i was looking before 
the old system would have given us 432 votes. Uh, 720 is what we ended up giving this year. We ended up having a, a winner with, I think, I think it was the lowest score we've had in any season. So it's it's even though bringing in more votes, we've actually had a lower winning score. So it, it's funny how it works out. It's a um, pretty much top ten. We've had Hunter Clark and Max King level on nineteen. Um, then we jump up to Brad Hill on twenty eight. Mitch Owens on forty. Mason Wood forty two. Jack Steele, the inaugural, the second, the third winner. <laughs> um, on 50. Uh, Naz, we've got 62. Cal Wilkie, 68. And then the top three, we've got Brad Carriach on 71. With uh, He had three best on grounds during the year. Ro Marshall on 84 with four best ons. And running away, he, I mean, as big a game as Marshall could have had, he needed all 30 of our votes to get over the line. Uh, Jack Sinclair on 103, polled in all but one uh, one regular season game and then didn't poll in the final. So there was only two matches the whole year he didn't get a vote. Um, so it's pretty consistent and I'd say Six it's probably, I, I'd almost be putting them down as our three for the best, for the actual best and various as well. I'd say that's probably a good, pretty good form line to go on. Yeah, and that five... Um... A Nass and, and Wilkie, you'd think, are going to be right in that frame yep. for, for that as well. And, yeah, Sinclair, ironically, was best on ground last time we played the Giants, so wasn't quite able to mm. do that this time. Just, I guess, the special mention, I did tweet it on the Sunday after the game, but um, all of the talk, and, and rightly so, around Mitch Owens, he, unbelievable year and in the mix for the, the rising star, did, you know, the, the jobs that he had to do was incredible in the circumstances for a player of that age and, and of that size. Um, so he deserves every single plaudit he gets. But I just wanted to remind everybody that Nasiah Wanganee Miller is the same age as Mitch Owens. His season was extraordinary. If you look at the numbers, he was probably mm. our best player in the second half of the year. Um, he was top 20 in the AFL for disposals, top three at our club, averaged 23 a game, played every week, took 150 marks, which was third highest at our club and I think ranked 11 or 12 in the AFL, third at our club for rebounds from, from defensive 50. I think for all of the plaudits that, that Mitch Owens quite rightly received, if Nasiah Wanganee Miller didn't have the equal of his season, I'd be I'd be stunned. I, I, I'd dispute that all day. He was unbelievable. He, he was. And he was fifth in the league for kicks. Mm. And we know how good he is kicking the ball. Jack Sinclair was number one in the league for kicks. Naz was fifth in the league for kicks. And and it just shows how much over the course of the season, because I think if you look at his trend lines over the, the season, um, you know, like you said, his second half of the season was was incredible. Like he was phenomenally good. Um, and it shows the trust, the trust that Ross was willing to give in him as a, as a young kid. And we hear, you know, there's all those stories that you know, Ross, Ross doesn't play the kids you know, he doesn't trust the kids. He doesn't develop them. He doesn't bring them on, all that sort of stuff. But when you've got a kid in his second year who is as important as just about anyone off halfback and you've got a kid 
in his second year, who's just as important as anyone across half forward and 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 whatever as Mitch Owens. Um, I think we can kind of debunk those those theories now. Um, and yeah, I, I I just wanted to to I guess agree with you on, on that. Um, that Naz deserves all the plaudits that he's get he's getting, um, but probably more. And and I think that he's probably been lost a little bit in the commentary because of the you know the hype and the 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 dynamicness of of Mitch Owens. Um, but Naziah Wanganin Miller is a star already, and um, he's he's still got plenty of improvement left as well. Yeah, and, and Filippo played every game, looked tired towards the end, but he's the youngest player in the AFL. Um, I think actually 100% the youngest player in the AFL. Caminiti yep. played most of the season. Uh, Windhager found his feet at the end. So there's five. And obviously Max King's relatively young. So, And then we hope that, you know, Kiel or, or Van Ness, um, those sorts of players, Hotton, um, give us a little bit of something. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the moose uh, in the ruck. So hopefully they can um, kick on a bit for us. H, uh, what did you make of the... Obviously, the list changes have already started. So reports are that we'll get Paddy Dow. Obviously, Liam Henry's nominated us. James Jordan would be a nice inclusion. There's a couple of other rumours floating around. But delisting Bytel, we could probably see that coming. Uh, Leo Connolly could probably see that coming. Oscar Adams, maybe a minor surprise. Mm. Uh, Jack Perris, probably Biggest surprise, a surprise yeah. I would say. Yeah, um, of, of that list. What did you uh, What did you make um, of those changes? I do wonder whether Paris has been told we'll rookie draft you, though. Mm. Um, whether that may happen. It just teams have to do list players. They know that, and I mean he got the game and didn't look like the worst in the world. There was no, um, no qualms on the game that he played that day. I mean, the first thing, the first game in senior football and didn't, wasn't embarrassed, didn't embarrass himself, didn't do the wrong thing. It was just, yeah, we were quite shocked when he didn't get another chance the week after, or at least another chance in another game later in the season. Um, so, I mean, I would not be surprised to see him be redrafted as a late rookie pick or, um, something along those lines because, I mean, at, at the same time, you wouldn't be surprised if another team goes, hey, we'll have a crack at him t- before that. Mm. So it, it's, I mean, if we drop him and all of a sudden he goes to another team and starts starring, I mean, hey, there we go. There's another thing that we'll say, well, that's our fault for doing that. So, yeah, we got to work on, I guess, what we do, what we do with him. And um, Bytel just just wasn't fitting in on it doesn't seem it just wasn't the position there just wasn't at that level to knock someone out of their position that were playing and it's just sort of probably in that tier of probably too good for VFL yeah. just not good enough for AFL yeah stuck between it, the zones Jack Loney dominate like yeah that. yeah absolutely dominates the VFL just couldn't crack it for the seniors I mean and I'd love to see him get another crack at someone else that uh, one of the teams down the bottom struggling or I mean, even a top-up player at somewhere that, yeah, needs just someone else, that kind of player that they don't, and they just don't have. But um, he, he'd be another one I wouldn't be surprised, did get an opportunity somewhere else. Um, so the sort of player we thought that Ross would actually really like, but yeah, just 
just didn't seem to work out. So it's an un- it is unfortunate because I quite liked the way he played at times. And yeah, um, currently similar. We saw some good things from him and just wasn't to be for, for him. He didn't get the opportunity this year and you sort of think, well, you don't play all season. That's generally when it kind of comes down and goes, yeah, it, it might not be, you might not be there on the list next year. So yeah, it's a unfortunate to see the guys go, but that that's what happens and that's what has to happen every year. And Nick, I guess, looking at the uncontracted list, whether there's any more that will be added to that, um, you'd think that Highmore would be a chance. Obviously, you'd hope to to keep mm. him, but you'd think they would consider that. Looking at the other uncontracted players, McKenzie, it, it sounds like clubs have at least asked the question of us. Hopefully, we re-sign him. He's important. Campbell's a, a journeyman. Stocker, I think they'll keep. Webster... You think they'd keep Jones? It's probably either us or, or the end based on his injuries. It looks like they're getting close to re-signing Hunter Clark, so hopefully that's all right. And then who else have we got there? Caulfield, Burns, and then obviously the question that sits around the likes of Gresham and, and Howard potentially. I think they mm. probably squished the Jack Steele one, which felt a bit silly. So. Yeah, look, the, the Steele one was an interesting one, wasn't it? Because I can... If you look at it from an outside perspective and you look at if they're if they're serious about kind of building from the draft, then who has trade value to bring in, you know, top end, top level draft assets? And it's Jack Steele. And and there would be plenty of clubs around the league who would want Jack Steele. But I I can't see I can't see um Ross trading away Jack Steele after his first season. I think I think it would be fair if if Ross potentially after this year and not being able to see the best of Jack Steele had question marks around his leadership and whether he wants Jack Steele as his captain. I think there are segments of the fan base that are asking those questions already and, and that's probably a fair enough, you know, conversation to have. But, you know, we saw we saw what Jack Steele could do when he's Jack Steele and, and he is in and captain when it mode. Mattered, yes when it matters um and you know he we have no one else on our list in our squad in our club like jack Steele, and i would be flabbergasted if jack Steele was not at st kilda next year yeah, you don't um, trade your heartbeat it was like i mean not, not no. i'm not saying he's lenny hayes but but jack Steele is effectively the heartbeat of the club whether people like that that's or right. not it's so probably it's, probably the closest yeah. we've got to lenny right now correct that's that's 100 yeah. you don't you don't 100%. move on players like that no, agreed. I, I think you're right. It, it does sound like Clark is getting pretty close. Mm. All the chat that we heard last year around North Melbourne and, and whatever has disappeared. I think you know one of the things that, that doesn't get reported as much, everyone talks about how close he was to going to North, was that North approached us and North approached him, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, it, it feels like he's fully on board. There isn't, there isn't that discussion. Nick Caulfield's a bit different. It, it kind of is getting to the point where I feel like cough is gone. Um, you know, we know we haven't seen him for a while. I, I would love to keep Nick Coffield because I think he's a bit of an X factor. Mm. Um, he's a different player to just about anyone else that we've got on the list when he's fit and healthy, but he hasn't been able to get to that level. Um, you know, had a number of setbacks throughout the course of the year. I thought when he was in the VFL in the second half of the season, he looked pretty good, but by that stage just couldn't force his way into the seniors. Um, I would love to keep him, for another year or two and, and just see if we can get him back on the park and, and, you know, a senior member of our squad again. Um, I think you're right on Zach Jones. I think it's, it's either one more year or, or done. And I'm not sure that 
Ross has the patience for one more year with a, with a Zach Jones. Um, Ronnie Burns, I think he'll get another year or two. I think he showed enough yeah. in, in his time yeah. that, that he'll, you know, he'll get a crack. He is, you know, he's a hard worker. He gives it everything no matter what. And, and clearly some, some things to still improve on disposals, the big one, but you know, not too many guys that have the mixture of kind of pace and grunt. I mean, he's not the biggest bloke, but he, he puts in, um, so I'd be surprised if if Ronnie Burns wasn't wasn't with us next year. Um, Dan McKenzie's a really interesting one, Parker. You and I spoke to to Dan McKenzie at the start of the year at that Essendon preseason game, and um, he it was, was saying that he had a yeah. he, he was concerned yeah. that he'd had a horrible run through the the off season, the preseason, and it just didn't get any better over the course of the year. And being un- uncontracted, that's the the worst position you can be in. Um, I, again, I'd love to see him get another kind of prove it year and, and get him right and, and back because we know what a difference maker he was for us previously. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably about it. I, I, I do feel like Caulfield's probably gone. I think Jones is probably gone. Uh, I, I fear that McKenzie might be gone. I was surprised that Highmore and Campbell weren't in that first round of delistings. I feel like Campbell's probably gone if they can either – if they either feel confident enough in Max Heath to move forward with him as the, the number two, uh, or if they can get another number two senior guy, whether it's a Todd Goldstein or I don't know, someone else, there's the, the ruck who was just delisted from port. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few around that might be available as your, your second or, or kind of backup ruckman. They're pretty happy going one out week in, week mm-hmm. in, week out with, with Rose. So it really is a backup role. Um, and Highmore is is a really interesting one. Um, you mentioned Dougal Howard, and that's I think that that could be the big move that kind of no one really saw coming until a couple of weeks left in the year when he got injured. Um, we know Sydney was big on Ben Mackay to kind of fill in their fullback role. They're now out of that discussion, out of that race, and they are still looking for a fullback. And it wouldn't surprise me. There's been whispers about Dougal Howard requesting a trade to an interstate club. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that was Sydney and Sydney make a play for Dougal Howard. And that could be the, you know, the piece that the footy department is looking at in terms of bringing in draft collateral or, or, or draft assets uh, with a senior guy. Um, I, I do think Gresham will go. I feel like Caulfield will go. And I, I'm, I'm leaning towards Dougal Howard going now too. Yeah, it's leaning towards Essendon for, for Jade Gresham. Especially, I wanted to mention also that he actually played all right in that final. It was one of his better games of the he did. year. Um, yeah. yep. And could be his last game for us, but we'll see what happens. And yeah, Sydney almost missed the eight, so they're probably due another blank check from the AFL to, to buy whoever they need <laughs> to make sure that they're okay. Um, obviously, the ins, Paddy Dow, quick, not a great user of the football, but Good clearance player, Liam Henry, quick and prolific ball winner. James Jordan, potentially from Melbourne, is a silky. And, and he is. Yeah. He does have excellent disposal. He does. Played in the premiership. Obviously, he was a sub and didn't get any game time a couple of years ago, but, but has had a, a pretty good record. Looks like Goldstein will go to Essendon anyway. That There's been a little bit of a link around Dylan Shield with a potential salary dump from Essendon, but our draft hand, 12, 31, 50, 86. So... We might, as we draw a little bit closer, see what happens over the, the nominated period. Worth probably mentioning a, a shitload of ex-Saints retired in the last month as well. Josh Bruce, Tom Hickey, Luke Dunstan, obviously Paddy McCartan being another one of those. So um, we'll actually add those to our list of potential targets and 
uh, Josh Bruce, we've had a bit of a chat to him, so he's keen to to get involved and tell his story over the next few weeks, hopefully. So we'll um, we'll have a crack at that and, and maybe some of those others too. So um, uh, we can thank them for their contribution. I mean, Luke Dunstan played most of his footy with us. We got the best of Josh Bruce for sure. Um, Tom Hickey had a, an outstanding couple of years with us and, and obviously Paddy McCartan of... Uh, I guess as close to a, a tragic story as really you can have in, in sport. I know we nearly won that flag at Sydney, but um, football, uh, or at least the, the lady luck, wasn't as kind to, to him as it as it needed to be, uh, H? Um, I was going to say that, so we're looking at going into next season now. We're starting to get bits and pieces um, coming to us from the club and that sort of thing, as in membership packages and all that sort of stuff. One thing we have had this year is our different logo for the 150th season. The membership packages have reverted back to the previous one we've used. Mm. Does anyone feel we may have had an opportunity there just to bring the crest into the 21st century? It, it feels a little old at times when you look at it compared to some of the other new ones that have been around and that. It, it just sort of, you go... Could have just been an opportunity to maybe give it a like that three D boost or just just a little something just 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 to bring it forward a little. Um, it, it it was good enough for Collingwood to change recently. It was good enough for most other teams to change. And I'm not saying change the dynamic, but maybe just give it that a bit a bit more boldness to it, a bit more. 3D jump out at you kind of thing. Just just to change it up just a little bit. It's it's something I noticed and I thought, hey, it was, might have been an opportunity to do something. It's it's a really interesting point. I'm kind of the the other way. I was I was hoping that they were going to keep the logo from 150 with the 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 wreath below and kind of mm. keeping the, the the kind of historic crest. I, I thought that was just super nice. Yeah, I loved it and, and yeah. silky and historical and. Just paid respect, I, th- I felt like, and um, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we have this ability to kind of because because we haven't had the success, and we hear it from everybody else, and you know, opposition fans and the media and blah 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 that we've got no history. But I feel like sometimes our our unique history can be forgotten, and the importance that they put on the crest this year really impressed me, and and I I really liked that, and I was hoping that they were going to keep that part of it moving forward but um yeah yeah and i felt that was almost a bridge between the you know past and, and present i mean the shield is a the, the crest is a significant incredibly significant part of our history as a club it's not just a design there's a purpose behind it and i think the way it sort of bridged this year into a bit more of a modern look with with some of that old original shape to it i, I really did like it so it's um it's maybe they wanted to to make that 150 only as, as a special part of that season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would have loved to have seen that a, a little bit more. Um, speaking of the crest and, and history, obviously before we wrap things up, there was another sad um, post note to the season, which was one of, in fact, probably the biggest star of our 1966 premiership in, in Kevin Cowboy, Neil passing away. Uh, last weekend, uh, a week after our season came to a close, he was 78 years of age and we're joined by a very special guest to have a chat about his legacy. 
Well, Cowboy Neil passing away over the last week. A sad day in the history of the St Kilda Football Club. Obviously, the 1966 Premiership numbers, unfortunately, dwindling. You, you look at Daryl Baldock and, and Alan Jeans and, and obviously the legacy that, that Cowboy left with five goals in a low-scoring grand final. I think I made the point on Facebook that it's the single most important contribution any player has made in any game for our club. He retired... As the game's record holder, he still sits in the top, uh, I think he's 11th for games, top 10 for goals kicked, uh, played full forward in a grand final, played full back in a grand final, could do most things on a ground, mercurial footballer and the star on our biggest day. And there are a few bigger historians than, than Bruce Eber to know the ins and outs of the football club. And, and Beaver, very sad times to have you back on, but um, going to celebrate a, a wonderful life for our club. Yeah, well, well summed up, Parco. Good to be with you guys again. But as you said, under under very sad circumstances, a, a giant of our club, and you've summed him up so well. And it's it is about the numbers when you think where he sat when he retired. I mean, he was the club games record holder when he retired, 256 games. He sat third for goals kicked when he retired. Alan Davis had. Uh, only kicked, I think, six or seven more than him. Of course, Bill Moore at the time sat well above everyone else. But when you consider he was the ultimate swingman, as you said, Parco played full forward in the grand final, played full back in a grand final. And I think it's about 174, 175 of his goals came in that four-season period, 66 to 69. He finished with 301. So for the last eight years of his career, and if you run through it season by season, he really was break glass in emergency and he needs to be put in this particular position. And you'll have games, you know, in a row where he, he doesn't bother the scorers and that's because he's playing key defence. I think most famously then in like 1975, <laughs> the middle of 75, the Essendon game, scores a level at half time. We win by about 13 goals and Cowboy kicks seven in the second half. He got thrown forward and kicked seven in the second half. So he's he maybe was the first across the competition, not just our beloved club, ultimate swingman. And um, as you said, with what he did in 66 and probably the most iconic photo of him, though, in a playing sense, is playing full back on Jezza in the in the 72 prelim where for a big man, he had a massive leap and he's soaring over the top of Jezza, who just two years earlier was responsible for the most famous mark ever taken in a uh, in a final series. And uh, I don't think he, Cowboy actually held on to that mark in, in the 72 prelim, but uh, a giant of our club in, uh, in more ways than one. Beaver, can you tell us a little bit about the way Cowboy played? Because obviously none of us were around to, to watch him live, but obviously you've got those stories of playing full forward, playing full back, et cetera. Obviously the, the famous Peter Hudson clash in the 71 grand final and, and the elbow or the punch, which, whichever side side you uh you, you played for, but um, how did he actually play? Was he as was he as dirty as some would make him out to be? No, well, look, Nick, I guess in that era, and let's take the seventy. I mean, most people regard the seventy-one grand final as the most brutal game of football ever played. Mm. Now, the most high-profile incident was Cowboy collecting Hutto, which they then formed a, a great friendship over the years, and Hutto forgave him and that. But if you go through the game, I mean, Hawthorne gave out as many cheap shots as we did. Um, my colleague at 3AW, pardon me, who I've been with tonight, Lee Matthews, I mean, he got Stuart Trott an absolute beauty in front of the members' stand, I think, in the third quarter. And, of course, Michael Porter cleans up 
uh, cleans up Big Carl. So it was give and take, and it wasn't um, that wasn't out of the ordinary in that in that era. Um, Stephen J. Peake, a, a well-known secure supporter, always refers to it as Old Testament football. So <laughs> I. I was born in 68, so I can only remember Dad started taking me to Moorabbin in 75. So I can only remember the last three years of Cowboy's career. And he predominantly played as a as a key, key defender in those years. The one thing I do remember, and if you watch the, the YouTube footage, there still is of him, um, he was a beautiful kick. He, he was one of the first, from my memory, in terms of like his... Drop punts were were magnificent. Um, could also go the barrel, but um, the 70s was sort of you know when the, when the drop punt took over. Probably the most famous um, exponent, of course, being Peter McKenna, um, the famed Collingwood full forward. But he was a magnificent kick. He was a he was a brilliant judge uh, of the ball in flight and able to use his bulk. Later in his career, he couldn't get off the ground as much, but he was just such a such a smart footballer. And he was just a, once again, I'll come back not name dropping. I, I spoke to Lee Matthews earlier today, who um, has got to do a preamble before the Brownlow next Monday night uh, in a tribute to Cowboy and also Ron Barassi. And he actually was, and when you think of Lee Matthews and his reputation, he said he was always glad uh, if in a Hawthorne St Kilda game, Cowboy was playing at full forward because that means he was a long way away from him. And, um, yeah, he, he did strike fear into opponents. He was an enforcer in an era when enforcers were necessary. Uh, it wasn't a luxury. It was necessary the way footy was played. But that should not take away from, as we said at the start, I mean, retired as the club games record holder. He would have kicked, if he'd stayed as a key forward, like he won the goal kicking four seasons in a row, 66 to 69. If he'd stayed as a key forward, I'm not sure whether he would have reached Bill, Bill Moore's mark of, of 735, but he easily would have kicked over 500 and he might have kicked over, you know, he might have kicked well over 600. So, um, yeah, he was a, a terrific all-round footballer. Now, being the historian you are, I mean, found a little bit of an interesting thing going through his numbers just before. The 65 played half the season pretty much in the number 31 and then turned up to the finals in number 18. Brian Minot's number. Um, up in that season, do do you know any of the background behind the story? Why he's changed four to finals? Or no, I don't know. It's a good question. I actually don't. We probably have to refer to the uh, the more senior of us in terms of historians in, in Russ Holmesby. Um, I was uh, yeah, I only sort of became aware of that in the last. I can't remember. Well, it wasn't this year about with him uh, having that change of number. I'd always thought that he'd worn eighteen. Mm. All the uh, all the way through, and and you think of, you know, you think of eighteen, what he did in the sixty six grand final. You think of Goddard's mark in the 2010, 2010 draw, and the way you know he played in 09 as well. I think BJ kicked their first goal in the 09 grand final, didn't he? So number eighteen has got a very uh, uh, a very rich history at the club. But I can't I can't shed any uh, any light on that, unfortunately. Now the Saints by chance, happened to write a profile of him, as you would expect, a couple of days ago. And just reading this paragraph now, in, in 1965, Neil's debut season, he played in a grand final. He had worn number 31 all year, but was one of a number of players who were allocated different numbers for the final series because an independent magazine had published a list of players' numbers against the wishes of the VFL. So they must have changed it up to keep it exclusive or something like that. So 
Um, Colin Watson. Well, that then you fucking yeah. I was going to say Colin Watson wore number thirty-one and was disappointed to see him in eighteen. Apparently, so yeah. Well, if I can jump in, part well that that tells it, and Russ would have written written that piece. Yeah, yeah. But that also goes to what happened in nineteen fifty-eight, and I guess the symmetry, if you like, you know, Ron Barassi was famous for wearing number mm. thirty-one, and in nineteen fifty-eight, the Sun published the players' numbers. And, and almost to you know take away the the sting if you like from the football record and that's why in 58 the famed Collingwood Melbourne grand final when Collingwood prevented Melbourne from equaling their record of four flags in a row they all wore different numbers on that day I'm pretty sure Barass wore number two uh, in the 58 grand final rather than 31 so that sounds like another instance of that where outside of the VFL with their copyright for the uh, for the footy record uh, where numbers were published and so to um, to uh, get around that, if you like, they made them made them change numbers. Yeah, it's but, a, um, amazing that corporate uh, copyright pull, even all the way back then. Um, Cowboy the bloke. I mean, a lot of us who were younger got to know him as the bloke, telling those stories and on all of the documentaries. He would have presented the cup if we won the flag in 2010. He was out there in 2016 for the 50th anniversary with Barry Breen holding the cup. Uh, country boy, Warnable based obviously what was he like as a as a bloke from from your interactions with him yeah pa, look what you saw was was what you got and whether he was behind a microphone I, I interviewed him number of times over the years at club functions um heavily involved in the past players but came back to the club as an employee worked in the marketing department for uh, for years and was so good with all the different supporter groups um be it our country-based supporter groups or or our interstate supporter groups one of my favorite not so much an image we didn't take a photo but i remember after we won the 05 qualifying final against uh against the crows at at footy park was walking around the concourse round to the the members after the game and cowboy had watched the game sitting next to neil roberts and seeing the look on their faces and sort of embrace them and stuff like that they were in a you know about six bays around from where where our group was and caught up with them after the game and I think they probably thought because it it pained Cowboy as much as any of the other 66 premiership heroes um, that they haven't got a mate that they are still the only ones I mean it, it, it's pained them more than just us mere mortals rank and file lunatics of, of the club we love so much and you know we're down to we're down to 13 now there's only 13 13 left and um, you know all it all Cowboy wanted to do was see uh, We'll see a second cup added to the to the one that they so famously won. It was a, I guess, a, a sad way to kind of finish up our uh, our celebration one fifty year. But mate, I guess I know we, we don't have too much longer with you. But be remiss of us to to not ask you how you saw our season of exploration and and I guess your uh, your thoughts on on the season. Yeah, Nick, I, I thought it was a, a terrific year. Given outside of the footy club and outside of all of our passionate fans. And maybe even some passionate fans, if they're truthful with themselves, probably didn't expect a hell of a lot at the start of the season. Whether we caught sides unaware in the first four to six rounds, who knows? You know, four points in round one or two are the same as four points in rounds 23 or 24. I, I thought we had a, a sensational year and uh, without a lot of luck. I mean, you just have to have a look at the stat of, you know, Max King and Tim Membry only played two games together for the whole year, those big wins over Richmond and Geelong late in the season. Um, what we did in the first half of the season 
the way we could cobble together winning scores with that patchwork forward line, you know, Butler and Higgins, particularly in the first half of the year, sensational. You know, Caminiti off the back of about a three-week pre-season, and then just how good all the other all the other kids were. I know it's biased. So I thought Mitch Owens should have won the Rising Star by the by the length of Flemington, the roles he was asked to to play and the impact he had. Um, yeah, so to win 13 games and and then not a lot went went right in the in the final. I mean, we obviously know with with the later mission of, of Tim and and how that impacted the the rest of the team. And probably if we could have had the second and the third quarters go for another five minutes, our greatest momentum in the final was at the end of the second and the end of the third quarters. Uh, the siren probably went a bit too early, but you know the Giants they franked that form last week, didn't they? So. Great foundation, but but as we all know, I mean, you don't have to tell St Kilda supporters that we go back to zero at the start of next year, And uh, but let's hope it is a, a massive foundation stone for, for the next, you know, six to eight to ten years. So being that 150th year, we've been asking everyone this year and appropriately probably a good one to finish the season off with. Um, to you, what what is the St Kilda Football Club? Is it... A moment? Is it a thing? Is it a a, a word? Or is it a, a to someone? What what is it to you? <laughs> uh, everything, everything. I mean, my you know, I can't imagine what my life uh, would have been like without the St Kilda Football Club. And I mean, I'm lucky to work in the in the football industry, um, trying to uh, separate my passion and emotion for the Saints is sometimes a little difficult uh, and I'm glad I don't really enjoy having to call St Kilda games when I'm when I'm working that's for sure but just you know friendships relationships not just with players and past players just all the so many supporters have become such such great friends it's a it is a trial and we know it's tribal right across the competition and um, you know but people that don't follow our club they probably just don't get it they probably do look at us as I mean, we really are the, you know, creme de la creme of idiots, given what we've, in- what we've endured. But it is, um, I've often said, Aaron. I mean, it's almost like a disease, the St Kilda Football Club. Like it gets into your blood and into your veins, and and you can't do anything. It's there, it's there for life. And you know, they've they've tried us and tested us to the to the nth degree. But it is to me simply, it is. Uh, it's it's everything, and it is it's family as well. It is family. And as we let you go, yeah, I think you know when days like today where you reminisce on you know a legend of the club and the fact that that you know it hurts your your heart a little bit with people that aren't directly in your family, but you obviously feel close to to those legends of the club and the legacy they left. And as I said, nobody was better when it mattered most than what Cowboy did in that 1966 grand final. It does not happen. Without his enormous contribution that day, there's no question about that. And obviously did everything possible throughout that era. And, and Beaver, thanks for, for jumping on. Your, your passion's always, uh, you know, as as you know, you're, you're one of us. Um, and we look forward to, uh, to to starting the journey again in a, in a couple of months. Yeah, well said. Uh, always great to have a chat to you guys. And I know how passionate uh, you all are as well. So, um yeah, we'll, uh, we'll remember the great man over the coming weeks and months leading into next season. And I know there'll be, you know, an appropriate tribute to him at the Trevor Barker Award the Monday after the Monday after the grand final. And uh, he'll, he will never, ever be uh, be forgotten. Well, that was Bruce Eva. I guess your thoughts 
Nick. Um, you know, for, for us, we didn't watch Cowboy play, but we've all seen the footage. And he, he kind of seemed to sum up St Kilda. Like he was a character, he was a larrikin, but he was also heart and soul and brilliant at times. Mm. So kind of what you encapsulate a St Kilda player as being. Yeah, spot on. I, I think that's that's kind of the perfect way to put it is that he was a, a St Kilda player. You know, he, he we spoke about it um, yeah, playing – full forward in the grand final and kicking five playing fullback uh, in a prelim against one of the greatest forwards of all time, playing fullback against uh, one of the greatest full forwards of all time in a grand final. Um, you know, he, he was, uh, he was a, a different type of player to what the league had seen before um, playing forward or back. He could move around. He was pretty mobile for a guy, his size as well. Um, and, you know, half, I think I've said it before, half my family was Hawthorne supporters, half my family St. Kilda supporters. So I watched the, the 71 grand final a fair few times, um, seen the 66 grand final a fair few times. And his ability to get around the ground and, and play different roles and, and match up against different types of players, whether they were forwards or back, was, was quite amazing, even by today's standards. Um, but you're right. He was a character. He was a larrikin. You know, they called him Cowboy for a reason. Um and but but ultimately, at the end of the day, yeah, a very very loyal person, a very very loyal person to St Kilda, and continued that way his entire life. You know, he was a fierce supporter, fierce advocate, fierce defender of the football club throughout the rest of his life. Um, and you know, certainly, certainly one of the most important characters in in our history, one of the most pl- uh, most important players in our history, and. Um, yeah, that was that was very very sad news. And H, yeah, so close to handing Nick Rewalt and Ross Lyon the cup in 2010. He was the ambassador that year, and yeah, it's one of those you wish moments. But yeah. in any case, um, yeah, yeah his legacy. Yeah, very close. And uh, when it came to the match in 2016, basically, I don't think they went any further than him and Breedy to pick it up and bring it out into the ground to for the crowd. And um, I. Yeah, and you sort of look at it and go, well, I, there was probably no other choice for the club. That That's who who you look at and think about back at that time and who what the club was. And it's, it's as as we've said, we've had Breeny on a couple of years back now, just as it was happening, and he couldn't speak high enough of him. And it, just about, he would do anything for him. Like I'm sure that, yeah, Cowboy did would do anything for Breedy or anyone else at the club. So... Yeah, it's a um, unfortunately one more down, and hopefully, hopefully we have enough around to when it comes to our time again to celebrate with them, and and, and that's more anything more than anything they would ever want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they don't want to be on their own. That that's for sure. That's that's always been the case, and um, yeah, hopefully, as you say, that they get company before it is too late for for all of those guys. Um, there's a lot to look at, obviously, over coming weeks. There'll be the trade period and, and the draft as we draw closer to that. The AFLW girls are, are three games in. It's been, for the purpose of analytics, a disappointing start to the season. Obviously, there, there's some ways to, to go. There is some young talent there and some list changes. And it does take a while at the moment with um, cohesion, given how, how rapidly those lists do change. But I think they've been a little bit disappointing, particularly the Port Adelaide game. But... They get another chance. You'd love to start the season with a win against Collingwood at Moorabbin um, in, in a round four game on Sunday. So, so fingers crossed they can do that. But H, you have asked the question of, of every guest 
all year. Might start it off with you. We haven't actually articulated it ourselves, but the 150, now that the season is is in the can, it was a, a unique one, but um, what, what's, what comes to your mind when you think of it? Well, to start off, I, I, it's it's come to this this episode to probably get the best answer we've had. Um, Beaver with mm-hmm. everything because I mean I think to a lot of people that's, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's like it, yeah. you sort of go, yeah, okay, yeah, that that makes sense for him to answer that way because that's that's exactly what mm. who he is and that sort of thing. But I mean, we can put it down to things like what we do. We do this. We do this because we. Love the club. We want to talk about the club. We want to be successful as a club. We want to be um, basically be part of the club. We want we want to be there when they win. We will be there when they lose. We'll be yeah there as long as we can be. Um, it, it's just a whole thing of. Um, I mean, Beaver said it's everything, but it, it's being that part of it, being a member of the club, having that ability to be, say, I'm a member, I'm part of this team, I'm part of what they're doing, I'm part of where they're going. I want to be on there when they do it. And, yeah, so it's just being part of St Kilda, being a part of their history, and that's what it was all about this year. It was the 150th year was every little part of what the club has been over that time. So, yeah, it, it's just being, uh, the best way to put it for me is I'm part of the history of this team and hopefully they're when they break history again. And Nick, it, I'll throw it to you as well. It, it kind of felt like, you know, this year was not the perfect way to spend the 150, but it was a, a bit a bit us, I guess, as a, as a side this particular year. But what does the, uh, the year <laughs> meant for, or what does the, the 150 mean for you? Yeah, it's, it's funny. The number of times we've spoken to people about this or asked this question each week, and I haven't really thought about it. Uh, it was only kind of an hour ago <laughs> where, where you said, I'm actually going to ask you guys um, this question. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's hard to beat. Beaver's answer. Um, H, I think you, you said it pretty well. And, and Parker, I think you've articulated it in a different way where you talk about kind of part of your family. Um, and, and, you know, it's the same It's the same with me. They've just been a constant um, ever since I can remember. I grew up a couple of train stations away from Moorabbin. Uh, I don't know if it was three or four when I went to my first game at, at Moorabbin. Um, you know, I had my you know, primary school birthday parties at Moorabbin at training on a Tuesday or a Thursday night. Um, you know, I had my wedding day at Moorabbin, you know, my wedding colors were red, white, and black. Um, you know, I take my kid to, to Moorabbin to, to watch the girls now. Um, and it's just been a constant in my life from the moment that I can remember. Um, and you know, as much as H it's like, you know, we're part of the, the club's history. The club is part of my history and our history. Um, and, you know, for all their faults and foibles and quirks and all of that, you know, I wouldn't really want it any other way because it is a unique history to be a part of. Yeah, and, and as, as, I think you've, you've all summed it up quite well, as did Beaver. I mean, my grandfather, when they moved to Australia, his first job as a 12-year-old was selling football records at the Junction Oval. Um it's just always 
been there, I, I guess it's it's one of those ones where it, it teaches you a lot about life as well because it's it's there all the time and you you learn how to deal with expectation, hope, frustration, sadness, anger, um, despair, hopelessness, all of those things, and you ride those extreme roller coasters and you learn valuable lessons. I've told the story on this podcast a number of times about when we nearly folded in the mid nineties and. My dad, I was 10 years old and my dad's sort of sitting me down talking about, you know, if you really care about something and it, you're passionate about it and you, you fight for the, the chance to save it and going with him to Princess Park in the rain against Essendon and rattling the tins and watching us lose by 20 goals and having Essendon fans laugh at you but thinking that, no, that's, this is the right thing to do. You, you don't let it just fade away and die. If it's if it's an extension of your family and something you love, you, you fight hard for it and then, you know, seeing those brief good times and then hoping in those times 97 09 and 10 and daring to think that it might be your turn and then going through the disappointment and coming back again and it's just it's a part of your dna or your blood you you can't help it Mm. it's it's there you come back again and again and again and you know it's if you ask people who barrack for any club it's it's probably that way you're born with you know, blue and white blood, black and white blood, red, black and white blood, yellow and black blood, whatever. Um, but we're born with our DNA and, and and that's the way it is. And we're the one constant, you know, players come and go, administrator, administrators come and go, grounds change, jumpers change, that the league changes, but um, but we're there all the time. And and I think that's the, that's the important part of it. To, to 150 years of people, it's obviously different 150 years ago, they didn't have podcasts, but you know, people would sit around and talk about it just like we sit around and talk about it now. And in 150 years when we're gone, they'll, they'll do the same thing. So, yeah, it's um, I think it's been a a roller coaster this year that kind of sums up what the roller coaster is, has always been. And it is that eternal hope that we, we sit and wait and, and wait and wait. And I guess we know how glorious that day would be. And, and we never give up hope that that day will one day occur um, as it has just the once but that's enough to, to make you believe that it could happen twice. So, um, yeah, it's anything. I mean, before we wrap things up, I know we've got trades and drafts and the like to come, but do we have any final thoughts around any of that? So St Kilda's or, or even the AFLW, Nick, you were there on the weekend. Um, no, I think, I think, you know, you, you, you spoke about the girls and, and the disappointing start to the year. It was, it was interesting. I was watching on Sunday and, she thought they equipped themselves, acquitted themselves pretty well, um, but just you know couldn't couldn't hold the lead. And you know when when the Port girls got on a bit of a roll uh, in the last quarter, and um, you know we just couldn't go with them. And and I think that was kind of you know is it is it coaching? Is it talent? Is it depth? Whatever it is, we haven't quite we haven't quite found it. Um, but you, you know that they'll keep. They'll keep working at it. There, there is a, a good group of girls there. There's a good group of people there, and um, you know they will get it right. But it's, uh, it is taking a bit longer than than yeah. we all would have liked. There was probably a fairly that's that's so secure moment in that game. The ball oh. bouncing at right angle on the <laughs> point yeah. line, and then hitting an umpire standing against the post and being called a goal. Yeah, it's a disgrace. How, how does that happen? Uh, yeah. I saw, I watched it and went, oh, yeah, they've called a point. And I thought, no, they called a goal. 
where have the rules gone there? That's that's yeah, I don't don't get that what at all what happened there. Yeah, and that if if that if Milne got that bounce in twenty ten, it bounces through for a goal and, and we win the flag. But um, yeah, history not so kind. Yeah, we've spoken a lot about how the, the AFLW's rules and the expansions and that haven't been kind to clubs that were in that second batch. But at the same time, obviously there, there is a bit of a call for them to work through. So hopefully they can get the job done against Collingwood. It would be a great way to start the season, and it is a winnable game without a doubt. Mm. So. Fingers crossed they can tick that along. Um, yeah, it's been a, a good episode. Thanks to Beaver. As we said, Ben McAvoy will drop soonish. We, we've recorded that and it's it's ready to go. So there will be another special guest for you to listen to. And yeah, we've got draft and, and trade not too far away. But hell of a year and yeah, a little bit more to come. Thank you for all of your company throughout the course of the, the season. Like and subscribe and five-star ratings and, and the like up on your various podcast, podcast platforms. And we'll catch you again very soon.